As the choir leaves, I just want to thank the Lord for the opportunity he has given me to uh, bring a message that he wrote upon my heart probably about a year ago when I was going through some particular incident in my life where I, everyone knows I walked around with that ugly brace for about a year and the first eight weeks or so and and uh, went through some suffering, but it was a time that the Lord worked on me mightily to um, answer some of the questions I had about suffering. So I pray that this morning what he gleamed in my heart, you will also gleam in yours. Uh, let me read our text. The title of the sermon is When Suffering Comes. This morning's text is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let us pray. Our Father, we are in need. In need of your wisdom, in need of your understanding, in need of revelation that we may grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ to deal with the very difficult times that come into our lives, especially the topic today of suffering. Father, I pray that you will equip us as your saints to be vessels of mercy and grace, to be your children, to be mindful of your great love for us in the sending of your Son, that he may be the one we look to in our suffering for he suffered for us and left us that example. So, Father, may your light of your truths, may the Holy Spirit empower us to hear well as you speak to us today in your word. Or I ask it in Christ's name with a thankful heart. Amen. I don't know what you've been through, and I don't know what you're going to go through, and to what extent you may go through it. And you don't know what I've been through or what I may go through. So today's sermon is not going to be who suffers more or what about your suffering or my suffering. It's going to be some teaching when suffering does come into your life. There is no doubt in my mind that every one of us will not leave this earth without some pain or suffering or some trial. Life is full of ups and downs and blessings and bruises, good times and bad. One thing we all have in common is that we all will have trials, pain and suffering and death. Therefore, this message is really needed for all of us to draw from the truths of God's word for strength and security and also for some very personal application. The Bible tells us that in this world you will have tribulation. No one escapes. But take courage, for Christ has overcome And he made you and I overcomers if we look and walk faithfully with him. Every journey has a focus, its eventual end. Christ is the beginning, the end, and all that lies between our lives. 
suffering, pain, anxiousness, worry, they drain us. And they drain our energy and cause us to give more attention to the circumstance rather than to God who has ordained these things specifically for his purposes. These purposes are for our highest good. We must believe that. Suffering declares war on our faith, and we must look to God's wisdom and strength to be more than conquerors in this battle. These trials are not meant to drive God's children to despair, but to remind us to stay the course of faith by abiding in Christ and in his word. We are told in God's word not to be surprised by the fiery trials when they come upon us, to test us as though something strange were happening, but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Christians are not to be surprised by suffering. We are called to partake of it. For Christians, suffering is the norm. We are to share in them as though we are suffering with Christ and for Christ. In Philippians 1.29, it says, For unto you it has been given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And in the book of Acts, the apostles were called in by the Sanhedrin, and they were flogged, and they were ordered to speak no more in the name of Jesus. And then they were released. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing, rejoicing. They were considered worthy to suffer shame for Christ's name. Suffering and trials are by God's design. They are not coincidental. This theme runs throughout the whole Bible. And in the Old Testament, David says this in Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And finally, in verse 75, he says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Whatever God does is right, even our suffering. And it is needed in our maturity to strengthen us in this Christian journey, which will, all, which will have a glorious end if we are overcomers by faith. C.S. Lewis said, If you think of this world as a place intended simply for your happiness, you will find it to be quite intolerable. Think of it as a place of training and correction, and then it's not so bad. God is always at work perfecting his children so they can be more and more like Christ. God does not take a back seat in our suffering. This morning I want to look at God's word, and I've come up with four themes, if I can call them at our four outlines, And here they are, if you're a note-taker. God's sovereignty in suffering, the origin of all suffering, the purposes of God in suffering, and God's desired response for us in our suffering. God's sovereignty in suffering. Remember, God is in control, not you, not me. 
He dispenses his grace and judgments as he so pleases. He is the first cause of all things. That's right out of our confession. He is working all things out for his glory and for the good of his elect whom he loves and those who love him. What do you think and what do you hear when suffering enters your life? Do you hear the assurance of God's promises? Do you think about the truth that this trial may actually be working out for my good? Do you think about the overarching truth that God is in control of all things, even your suffering? Or do you hear your own voice crying out, why me? Or do you think to yourself, it's my job to get tougher and to move on? Sadly enough, many of us have the wrong perception in the midst of our suffering. And a wrong understanding of suffering will only lead us into more confusion, sadness, and eventually self-pity. Ephesians 1.11 tells us that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And surely this includes our trials and suffering. These things bring pain, heartaches, but they are much needed teachers in our sanctification as we become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We learn more in our pain than we ever did in all our comforts. The greatest act of suffering, unjustly as it was, was ordained by God our Father. Where? At the cross of Christ. Al read that the Father crushed the Son at the cross. He crushed him. And in Acts 2.23, Peter says, This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan, there's God's sovereignty, and his foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. God's means. God's means was what? Wicked and sinful men. God richly provides his saints with all things, which are for our good, our joy, and, our pers- and even our personal suffering. But oh, how we waste these opportunities, not recognizing that it is from his gracious hand we have received them. It is not until we are sick that we appreciate the many days of good health. It's not until we are in great need do we seek and recognize the many times of plenty that have come from our great God. Many times it takes pain and suffering and trials to humble us and to break us so that we may look dependently to our Savior and be cleansed from the hidden sins which pollute our hearts and so hinder our faithful walk with our Lord. I pray that our trials will cause us to seek Jesus more and more, not to run from him, but to run to him which is truly our deepest need. Remember, his grace is sufficient in our weaknesses, and in our weaknesses are made perfect in his strength. For when we are weak, we are strong, because then we manifest his power, his wisdom, and his glory. But as long as we assume that we can handle a trial, any trial, 
by ourselves, God may allow us in our own strength to experience firsthand our lack of, of understanding and strength and to reveal to us our hidden embarrassed pride which we try to hide in our weakness and so prolong his purposes in our suffering. Have you been there? I know I have. God is working all things for our good and for his glory. Remember, in this world, you will, not maybe, you will, and when it comes, suffer and have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Christ has overcome the world, and because he has overcome, we have his peace and his promises, which is beyond our understanding in all suffering and tribulation, and even in our death. Understanding suffering and pain and tribulation is a needed part of our conformity to Christ. They are a part of our Christian life. Why are they important? Because each one of us will experience them on this side of heaven. Our suffering can be a time of well-needed self-examination. It was for me. And a refining fire in our journey while we live out this brief life here on earth. God has ordained them for the revealing of our weaknesses and for our maturity. Or if he so wills, for the assurance of our faith. And also for his refreshment when it comes. But it may not come. Some people are called to suffer. Remember, he remains faithful even when we are faithless. Suffering will not make much sense or have very little meaning to us unless we see the suffering of Christ on our behalf as our example to be followed, as I read in our text today. Our suffering has a backdrop, and that backdrop is the cross. And the good message of that cross is Christ's gospel. So that we may experience victory in our time of greatest need and fear and confusion, the path of suffering has a lot of pain and a lot of questions. And by God's design and grace, these should bring us joy and peace when we faithfully follow Christ's example, as revealed to us in his word. Our faith is to be steadfast, looking and trusting in Christ. Even though our diseases may not be healed and a shadow of death may not be removed, for most of us, we're all going to have an illness that will lead to our death. It's inevitable. As the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 that Al read, here we see the faithfulness of the suffering servant in his sorrow, pain, and in his death for his saints. God's word calls us to look upon Christ, to learn of him. Jesus said himself, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. On the other hand, God's word does not call us any point to follow Christ's example of walking on water, cleansing the leopard, or raising the dead. These miracles were done by Jesus to display the very power of God to those who had faith to believe. However, in our suffering, Jesus calls us to exemplify him. In this knowing, it is for our good and for our eventual joy. 
Here we get our greatest meaning and chief purpose in our suffering is to glorify God and to grow up. We glorify him by keeping our eyes on our living hope, Jesus Christ, and by faithfully obeying him. Not only will we preserve, but we will be strengthened in our faith by remembering our secure position in Christ and our eternal inheritance with him. Have you experienced this security in the midst of your pain and your suffering? Have you held fast to the rock of your salvation in spite of your brokenness and despair? If you have, you have seen and trusted in the sovereignty of God. Even in the valley of suffering and despair and brokenness, and this is the time that we should praise him. In my second point, the origin of all suffering, and the origin of all suffering is sin. God created the perfect world and made a perfect image of himself, man. Sin corrupted the creation. Man fell and God placed a curse on all that he had made. As a result of that curse in Genesis 3, it tells us that man would sweat and toil to provide for his family while a woman would suffer in childbearing and death now enters the picture. Everything was polluted by sin. Mankind's heart, the Bible says, is deceitful and wicked above all things. And so it is that all generations are cursed as a result of sin. And therefore, suffering is an ever-present theme of man's life until our Savior comes and makes everything new. A critical point to understand, though, and it must be made clear here. Suffering finds its origin in sin, but not all suffering is a direct result of man's personal sin. For example, if we look for a moment into the book of Job, God called Job a righteous man who feared him. Therefore, it was not Job's personal sin that brought him suffering. It was God's sovereign plan carried out by his chosen means, Satan, whom God told to do whatever he wanted to Job, but he could not take his life. Even here, in, the, in God ordaining Job's suffering, we see God who sets the boundaries for Job's suffering. Satan inflicted horrible suffering and great loss into Job's life. Although Job lost his children, his possessions, and suffered terrible pain in his body, Job was held fast by God's grip. Yes, his faith was tested and ultimately weakened for the season. Yes, his heart was shattered. Yes, it appeared that all seemed lost and displaced to him. And it made to us in our suffering also. But his faith endured and God remained positioned as the faithful one and brought forth blessings to Job more numerous than he had before. Another text which makes this point even stronger is John 
9, verses 1 through 5. In this passage, the disciples asked Jesus regarding the blind man that they saw. And they said to Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? The disciples assumed, like most Jews of that day, and still many of us today, that sin was a direct cause of all suffering. Jesus' answer is profound. He rebukes the disciples. It was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him all for the Father's glory. Our conclusion then is this. Sin is the origin of all suffering. However, personal sin is not always the direct cause of personal suffering, as we have seen in Job's case and in the blind man's case. Rather, is it, it, is only, it is rather only proper for us to say that God is working out his sovereign will and that God is in complete control. My third point is probably the largest point here, and, and that point is that God's ordained purposes in suffering. And I have examples that I'm going to look to. We looked at Christ a little bit. We'll look a little more at Paul. And then Paul's teaching to us personally about suffering. And then to his church. As we looked earlier at Isaiah 53, when we saw Christ faithfully, faithfulness in his suffering and dying for his saints, we are called to learn from that and to drink in the reality of the truth that Christ suffered for undeserving sinners. The just Christ for the unjust, us. He did it without any deceit found in his mouth, and he remained faithful in all his suffering for the joy that was set before him, which was the Father's glory and our redemption. He now sits victorious over sin, over Satan, and over our suffering. He sits at the right hand of the Father, acting as our great intercessor, our King and our Savior. It is here that we get the greatest meaning and purpose in all our suffering, is to glorify God. We are changed and transformed by keeping our eyes fixed on our living hope, Jesus Christ. And from him we draw our great strength, our hope, and our hope is eternal life with him. Yet too, often, we are to remember that we suffer as God has so determined for his purposes. And those purposes are vast. Suffering is a high calling and a joy when it's lived out faithfully. Seeing so clearly that our Savior suffered according to God's ordained plan to accomplish all that was necessary in order that we may be his followers and stand in his grace. Is there a better place for us to stand but in the grace of a sovereign God? Where else would you rather be? We're going to see here now next, I'm going to use the passage of 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, where Paul's going to talk a little bit about suffering here. And he's going to talk, prior in that chapter, he talked about his own suffering. So we don't lose heart. 
Though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here we learn that as Christians live, they will suffer, and the purpose is that they do so with a view towards eternity. Understanding that our light momentary afflictions are brought forth by God to demonstrate and to and that we to demonstrate to us that He is what? Working in us and through us. But they cannot compare to the weight or the heaviness of God's glory that awaits us in heaven. In this passage, it is important to understand that Paul was not making light of suffering. He certainly did not make light of his own. However, whatever you are going through in this present time, it is ordained by God. It is this, in this, it is this, this is the lesson or the picture that will help us to focus on eternity and not the temporal. To help us to focus on the inner man, not the outer man. Because the outer man is fading away. Also, it is teaching us that our suffering is only for a moment in view of eternity. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We persevere. For this world is not our home. Look to God and look to his heaven. Paul now is going to give us a general teaching about suffering. And I'll use two verses here, two sections here. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 5 through 7, he says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endured the same suffering that we suffered. Our hope for you is unshakable. For we know that as you shared in our suffering, you also share in our comfort. And in Romans 8, verses 16 through 18, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Notice Paul is always pressing us towards eternity. He's always pressing us to look to him and to look to God and to look to heaven. In these passages, Paul is teaching us that we actually share in Christ's suffering. And this is the pattern by which we understand and overcome our own trials and suffering and death. We as believers are united to Christ, and we are members of one body, his church, in which we even share with one another's burdens and sufferings and joys. The result of this pattern is that we also, therefore, share in God's comfort 
when it comes in his ordained time and by his ordained means. And then means may be, as I have experienced in this church, fellow members of the body here, who came to me during my time of suffering and came to my side and shared my burdens. Through prayer, through bringing me meals, through driving me to therapy, waiting an hour for me in the waiting room as I was in there getting tore apart. And those were the times that they, they encouraged me. They, they were sharing, as it says in Galatians 2, you are more like Christ when you are sharing others' burdens. And I thank them people for that. Are you in the midst of a trial? Are you suffering right now? Remember, we are all being renewed and made into the image of Christ. Therefore, whatever you endure or whatever suffering you are going through, you are being refined. And most likely you are able to turn and comfort others in their time of affliction and pain. I don't know about you, but I find the best thing for me when I'm in my pain or in my suffering is to look for someone else who's suffering. That's what Jesus did on the cross, didn't he? Even in his darkest moment, he brought that thief to salvation. Even in his darkest moment, he worried about his mother and took care of her. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul now is going to turn his attention to the church, to us. And he says, when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. Christ's life and his death are ours to imitate. He faithfully lived to the glory of Father and endured suffering and death on the cross. Our fellowship with Christ is real. It is seen through the historical reality of the cross and the historical reality of his suffering. He endured, and it is ours to share in and to experience in and to grow in. He came to suffer and die for the sake of his church, and Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1.24. I rejoice in my suffering. I wish I could get there sometime. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, the church. This is not to say that anything is lacking in Christ's suffering for our redemption. What Paul is saying is that there will be suffering as the gospel goes forth. As God gathers his people from all over the world. We are therefore called to share in this suffering and persecution. Which must occur as God's kingdom goes forth. The gospel is proclaimed throughout the world. His church is marked by their suffering. Look to the Middle East. Look to China. Look around, folks. Our brothers and sisters are suffering and dying for their belief in Christ and his gospel. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says that all who live godly lives 
will suffer persecution. And Paul says in Romans 12.1 that our lives are to be a holy sacrifice unto God. How do these revealed purposes of God impact your thinking? They impacted mine greatly. Have you experienced his refining, his reproving, and then eventually his refreshing? Do you long to see his glory manifested through you to others? Are we as a church seeking our conformity to Christ, even if it means suffering for us? In my fourth point, God desires response, God's desired response for us in our suffering. God desires that we are triumphant in our tragedy. How? We must remember that we are his children, forgiven, loved, and everlastingly secured with him in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, you are perfectly positioned permanently in Christ. Don't forget that. Therefore, from thinking and remembering that and standing firm in that belief, you can rejoice. You can rejoice because you are becoming more and more like Christ and that we are constantly learning what it means to be agents of his comforts to others in their affliction. Here the Christian finds his deepest joy. If you have helped someone in their deepest pain and sorrow and you come alongside of them, you are experiencing a pressed down joy from your father because you are more and more like Christ at that point, giving yourself away. We are called to remember his promises and they are ever before us. And will keep the light of our hope burning even in our darkest hours. Always remembering that we will never, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Remembering that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not danger of the sword. No, brothers and sisters, nothing can separate you from the love and the power and the comfort of your God. We are called to rest in his strength. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How is it with your soul? Are you seeking and resting in the living hope of your great shepherd, Jesus Christ? We are also called to experience his healing. When Al read that by his stripes we are healed. By his wounds you are healed, not always from your physical pain, not always from your emotional distress, but you are promised to be healed of your sin-sick hearts by faith in his atoning work and his suffering and the shedding of his blood for your forgiveness of sins and your salvation. 
Surely he is able to cure all our physical sicknesses and pain and emotional and, dis and mental disorders. However, until we realize that our chief need is to be healed spiritually, which is truly the healing that we all need. What if the shepherd and the overseer of your soul has ordained for your suffering or my suffering to be distinctly designed to be a healing agent for my inner man? The very set of circumstances ordained to bring you or someone you love to the true lover of their souls and the only healer and savior of your souls, Jesus Christ. In God's economy, nothing, nothing goes to waste. He is using every, every difficulty, suffering, problem in your life to display his glory and to bring forth his purposes in all things. There are a million things that we simply do not have the power to overcome. We simply do not have the wisdom or the understanding or the power to be conquerors in all things. Yet, now more than ever, there are what seems a million and one methods in this world to make you an overcomer. There is a barrage of right thinking. There is, we are bombarded with self-help programs, do-it-yourself programs, one would think that at this stage, humanity would have everything it needs to be strong and constant. <laughs> How untrue that thinking is. When suffering comes to pay us a visit, how quickly we are reminded that apart from Christ, we are helpless. Apart from him, we can do nothing. The world's answers will not suffice. They cannot empower us to handle the most difficult circumstances that life will relentlessly bring into our lives. Where are the wise of this world when we are told the awful words, you have terminal cancer? Or when your spouse says, I don't love you anymore, I'm leaving. Or when financial ruin comes upon you. Or you experience the departure of a rebellious child, or even worse, the death of a child or a loved one. There really is only one power, isn't there? That will set you free and calm the storms of doubt and fear, and that is Jesus Christ. His word has the power to silence the lies of the evil one. The devil never stops prowling around. Never. He is our enemy. He prowls around accusing you and tempting you and saying that you deserve this suffering because of a specific sin in your life. Saying that you can't be a child of God if all this has happened to you. Satan is the great deceiver. He asks questions like, where is your God now? If he loves you, why has all this happened to you? Brothers and sisters, God is still God. Even when we are weak, even when we feel defeated, he remains faithful. 
you are perfectly, permanently positioned in his son. He sees his son in you, and you are united with him. You are adopted into his eternal family and co-heirs with Christ in all the heavenly blessings. They are yours to claim. His power and truth will set you free from self-pity, from a guilty conscience, from the lack of contentment and peace. He did not let go of Job, and he will not let go of you. Do not be shaken. Do not lose heart. Come to him in prayer. With all the confidence you have, and draw near to the throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find strength to help you in your time of need. Brothers and sisters, suffering is a gift from God. I hope you see that. It is part of carrying your cross. It is part of the narrow path that he calls us to walk. It is a privilege that no one wants, but is so needed for all of us. Let us see it for what it truly is. God is working out his will in conforming us all to his son. What greater good can there be than to be like Christ? To the glory of the Father. Is it well with your soul? If it is not, look to Christ. Remember his great promises. Rest in his strength. Experience his healing. And finally, you can rejoice because you are dearly loved and part of the family of God. Let us close in prayer. Father, help us to remember your promises. When we are weak and confused and the enemy has beaten us up, you are our rock that will cause us to stand in the storms of life. You said and you told us that the Lord Jesus would wipe away every tear from our eye and that our eyes would be clear and there would be no crying and no pain anymore and the former things would pass away and behold that you would make all things new. These promises are ours to claim. And you remind us in Psalm 55, 22, where you tell us to cast all our burdens upon you, that you will sustain us, then you shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Help us to believe this, Lord. We praise you, Father, for your goodness, your power, your mercy, and comfort. Help us not to be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with a thankful heart, let our requests be known to you when our suffering comes. We ask in the mighty name of Christ our Lord. Amen.